Dwayne Gray, one of the elders here at Cole Community Church. And there's one thing I should probably tell you before we get started. This is the very first sermon I have ever delivered on a Sunday morning. Now, to be honest, I tell you this because I don't want to be the only one nervous this morning. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for laughing. That helps. This is the third in our series on our vision, mission, and core ministry principles. And for those of you who are visiting today, our standard practice is to walk through a book of the Bible in sequence and series. But for this three-week series, we're doing a little, thing, a little bit different thing here, talking about who we are and what our call is for Cole Community Church. Now, to help you understand why we want to do this three-week series, I want to tell you a story about an organization that illustrates what can happen if you drift away from your founding principles, your founding vision and mission. But before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Well, Father, we thank you for your word and for the privilege we have to learn from it this morning. We thank you for sending your son Jesus, the head of the church and the author and perfecter of our faith. Please open our hearts this morning. Please open our minds this morning to your message as we explore your call for Cole Community Church. Amen. I dare say that most of us here are familiar with Harvard University. It was founded in 1636 for the express purpose of training pastors, Christian ministers. In its rules and precepts, which were adopted in 1646, we find the following statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Interesting. Over time, Harvard's direction changed. Today we find official unfriendliness toward the Christian faith In 2006, Steven Pinker, a well-known professor of psychology, opposed a proposal by the Committee on General Education to add a required course called Reason and Faith. He wrote an opinion piece in the Harvard Crimson, and this is what he said. We have to keep in mind that the requirement will attract attention from far and wide and for a long time. For us to magnify the significance of religion as a topic equivalent in scope to all of science, all of culture, all of world history and current affairs is to give it far too much prominence. Mm, Wow. It's a pretty serious dismissal of Christianity. So this is an example of what can happen when your founding principles are not viewed as the very lifeblood, the very reason for being for your organization. Harvard was founded with a focus on Christ. Today, although there are Christians, lots of Christians at Harvard, the official attitude toward Christ and Christians is far less charitable than it was centuries ago. Now, of course, I'm not bringing this up to condemn Harvard, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Harvard or or not send your children to Harvard, because Harvard is just one of many examples you could use for this particular illustration. Organizations that have moved away from their founding purpose... And this example helps us to understand why we need to remember 
and communicate our founding vision, mission, and our principles. Well, on the screen, you can see here, are our vision and mission and the diagram with our seven ministry principles. My objective for this morning is to talk about the remaining three core ministry principles, prayer, outward focus, and reaching the lost. The foundation of them all, in the center of that circle that you see there, is the greatest commandment which tells us to love God and to love others. Now we'll look at the greatest commandment and each of these three principles in turn, exploring scriptures that illustrate these principles and noting examples how we at Cole Community Church, well, in fact, you who are the saints who are equipped to do the work of the ministry, how you are living out these principles. As I mentioned earlier, we want to continually remember our purpose. We need to regularly return to our founding document and remind ourselves of what our founder considers most important. Now, you could say that the Constitution of Cole Community Church is our founding document, and you could say that Pastor Burchard, who started the church in 1948, is our founder. However, it's worth examining the foundation upon which the Constitution of Cole and Pastor Burchard's faith are both built. In the case of a church, of course, the founding document is the Bible, and the founder is Christ. We go to the Bible because God gave us his inspired word for our instruction and our growth. It's important to emphasize in this postmodern world that our faith is based on the written word of Scripture. Those words were written with a full understanding and intent that the future generations would be able to understand the meaning. The Constitution of Cole Community Church states that the Old and New Testaments constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. So, when we want to know what our purpose is, when we want to know what's truly important in life, we go to the written word of Scripture. When we want to know what our founder, Jesus, considers most important, we go to the written word of Scripture. So, let's go to the written word of Scripture and look at a passage where Jesus was asked, what is most important? So turn with me, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark 12, 28. Jesus was engaged in a debate with a group of Sadducees who were trying, without success, to make Jesus look foolish. We pick up the story at verse 28. And one of the scribes, or teachers of the law, came and heard them arguing. Now the focus here is on the scribe, or teacher of the law. In some places in the Gospels, uh, these scribes are called lawyers, and uh, that's a title that identifies them as experts in the Mosaic Law. Matthew, in his Gospel, notes that this particular scribe was a Pharisee, and therefore he was an opponent of the Sadducees. So he listened with great interest to what Jesus had to say and how he dealt with the Sadducees. So let's continue the passage. He heard them arguing, and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, the scribe asked him, what commandment is the foremost or most important of all? Now, recognizing that this, this rabbi, Jesus, had considerable depth of wisdom, the scribe asked him a question that was often debated by the religious scholars. You know, the Pharisees had built up a religious legal system that recognized 613 commandments in the Torah. So for the Jews of that day, it was a reasonable thing to ask, 
which of these commands, which of these multitudinous commands might be the most important? In verse 29, Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher. For the second time, the scribe realized that Jesus had answered well. Jesus told the scribe, and he tells us, that we must begin with a focus on God. He quotes the Shema, the central creed of the Jewish faith, that reminds us that we are to love God with every fiber of our being, heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he joins it to a passage in Leviticus that tells us we are to love others. The order is important. The Christian life begins with God, quite unlike our current culture, which says that it begins with self. As Christians, we are called to love God first, and then everything else follows. We demonstrate our love for God by how we treat our neighbor. Our love for others flows out of our love for God. So the point is this. Our founder, Jesus, considers this to be most important. Love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment, then, is the foundation of our ministry principles. We will see today how the three ministry principles of prayer, outward focus, and reaching the lost are part of our response to God's call to love God and love others. The first ministry principle for today is prayer. Okay, so when we think about loving God with every fiber of our being, well, we quickly realize that how do we love somebody we don't know? If we love someone, we want to know them. And how do you get to know God? I mean, you can't go to coffee with him. You can't go to lunch with him. But he did give us ways to develop that relationship. We have his written word that tells us about him, and that's why one of our core ministry principles is teaching the word, which we talked about last week. And through the word, we get to know God better. In addition, God invites us to pray, which deepens our relationship with him. So at Cole Community Church, we believe that prayer is foundational and is the highest expression of a disciple's dependence on and relationship with God. Again, we note that our founder did not leave us in the dark regarding his thinking on the subject. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and that teaching was written down for us. So let's turn to Matthew 6-7 in our founding document, where Matthew has recorded what is called the Lord's Prayer. Of course, the context is the Sermon on the Mount. You know, multitudes had followed Jesus from all over, and when he saw the multitudes, he went up on this mountain and sat down and began to teach. We pick up the sermon in verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for the many words. Now, I like the NIV's translation of this. It says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. for They think they'll be heard for the many words. You know, think about the kind of relationship between us and God that that implies. In the pagan view, God is distant and really not very much concerned about us. 
But God can be manipulated or convinced by the proper rituals or procedures to give us what we want. The pagans are forced to use repetition because really there's nobody listening. But our God does listen and our God does care. Back in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus continues, Therefore do not be like them, those pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. At this point, the first century Jews who were seated there on that hillside listening to Jesus would be murmuring to themselves, What did he say? What? You know, from the distance of our 21st century American culture, we just don't understand the reaction of these first century Jews. Addressing God as Father would be very startling to them. Well, yes, God was called Father in the Old Testament, but Father of the nation of Israel as a whole, not as an individual. You know, we can look at some prayers recorded for us in the Old Testament to see how God was addressed in that, in that day. Elijah, when he was contending with the priests of Baal in 1 Kings 18.36, began his prayer with, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple in 1 Chronicles, or 2 Chronicles 6.14, began his prayer with, O Lord, the God of Israel. In the Old Testament, when God was addressed in prayer, he was addressed as Lord, God of Israel, Lord of hosts, the great and awesome God, but not Father. That was too familiar. But when we move to the New Testament, we see Jesus addressing God as Father. Okay, so what does Father imply? You know, we think of a kinship, we think of a special bond, we think of compassion, a special interest and concern. And at least that's what we would expect from a good father. And God is good. God is a good father. Now, of course, Jesus had a special reason for calling God his father, since God is his father in a unique way. But what does that have to do with us? I mean, we're not Jesus. So let's read the passage again. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. Clearly, Jesus is telling us that God is our Father as well, and that we are to refer to him in that way when we pray. Startling as that may have been to the first century crowd, Jesus is telling us that we can have a relationship with God. He is not distant. He knows what we need. He cares about us. So now here's the point I'm trying to make regarding this core ministry principle of prayer. The passage we just studied and many others lead us to conclude that God wants our prayer to be an expression of our relationship with him. Therefore, our ministry principle regarding prayer states that we are convinced that prayer is foundational and is the highest expression of a disciple's dependence on and relationship with God. Now we believe that prayer is a conversation with God not just a ritual, it's not just a way to manipulate nature or God to get our way, but it is necessary to deepen our walk with God, our Father in heaven, who loves us and wants a relationship with us. Because we believe that to be true, you will find that it is our characteristic for prayer to be expressed in all of our ministries. All right, so maybe you're thinking to yourselves, well, fine concept, but do you really do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
beyond the obvious fact that this morning we've already prayed several times, and no doubt there'll be another prayer before we're done, what else do we do? Some churches have weekly, all-church Wednesday night prayer meetings. We don't. Some churches have prayer chapels. We don't. It's important to note that these omissions are not oversights on our part. Quite the opposite. We've considered these things and concluded that because we believe that prayer should be a part of every ministry, we want to be careful not to accidentally give the impression that only at specific times or at specific places can true prayer take place. We want prayer to be a part of everything. Now please understand that I'm only emphasizing what we at Cole are called to do. Other churches may indeed be called to have Wednesday night prayer meetings. They may be called to have prayer chapels. I'm only saying this is what we believe God has called us to do ministry, or how God has called us to do ministry. Now as part of my preparation for the sermon, I did a little homework. I asked several of the pastors to provide me examples of how their ministries live out these ministry principles, and frankly, the response was amazing. I just don't have enough time to talk about all of the ways that you, the saints who have been equipped to do the work of the ministry, are actually living out these ministry principles. So I'll have to be content with giving some representative examples. Well, for starters, take your bullet and then open it to the prayer page, or prayer pages. You know, one page has items that concern people here at Cole, or people we know or related to, and the other page is about missions, or prayers for the missions. So these are all things that you can pray for. Now if you turn to the back of the bulletin, you'll see a list of ministries. All of these ministries include prayer as a part of what they do. And and here's where I can just pick just a couple of examples. If you want more examples, please talk to the ministry leaders. They would love it. The women's ministry is really committed to prayer. And they are really organized as you can imagine. For example, when they create ministry agendas, they make sure that there's ample time for prayer. It's just a foundational thing. Each ministry team has a prayer coordinator with a team of people committed to pray. The Sunday school ministry has a small prayer meeting every Sunday morning before the Sunday school classes begin. In addition, the teachers in the elementary classes have a prayer journal to record prayer requests and answers to prayer. Of course, given the clock, this is all the time I have, so I'll have to move on. But I hope the point is made that we do indeed express prayer in all of our ministries. So now let's move on to the second ministry principle, outward focused. We return to the greatest commandment, the center of the circle. Now the second part of the commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when we think about ministry principles that flow from this command, we have to ask a fundamental question. Who is my neighbor? Almost sounds like Mr. Rogers, doesn't it? (laughs) Again, Jesus does not leave us in the dark on this subject. Most of us know the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Jesus tells the parable because a lawyer asks him, Who is my neighbor? The lawyer had just quoted the greatest commandment and then found that he was a bit uncomfortable with the implications. He was hoping that Jesus would narrowly define who was meant by the word neighbor, but Jesus did not make him feel any more comfortable. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan and basically told him that a neighbor, a good neighbor, was one who loved the people in need around him. 
So we see that our founder, Jesus, defined the word neighbor pretty broadly. It includes everyone. So the first of our two remaining ministry principles, outward focus, is targeted toward fellow believers, our neighbors who are also members of God's family. At Cole Community Church, we are convinced that as disciples, we are to invest ourselves and our resources in advancing our Lord's kingdom. So again we ask, what does our founding document have to say about this thing, being outward focused? Well, actually there's quite a lot in the Bible about this topic. So this morning I'll limit the discussion to a section in one of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. In this letter to the church in Corinth, one of the things on Paul's mind was a collection of money for the persecuted and impoverished church in Jerusalem. He wrote about the collection at length, beginning with chapter 8. So let's examine that passage to see what principles that it has for us today regarding caring for the needs of others. Now, if you haven't done so, please turn to, the, to that passage, 2 Corinthians 8.1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been, has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Hmm. Well, to motivate the Corinthians, Paul tells them about their impoverished and persecuted neighbors to the north, the churches of Macedonia, and specifically the churches of Thessalonica and Philippi. We have letters about them. In spite of their affliction, they had great joy. In spite of their poverty, they were generous. You know, the words deep poverty in the New American Standard and extreme poverty in NIV come from Greek words that really mean rock-bottom, helpless poverty. The Greeks had another word for someone who was poor but able to just get by. But the word used in this passage is for someone who is not even that well off. Yet somehow, they were able to give generously. As we consider our own situation in this tough economy, we wonder, you know, how is it possible for someone to give so much when they have so little? It's worth noting that this section begins with God, as everything should. In verse 1, Paul calls it a grace of God that has been given to the Macedonians. Generosity is a gift from God. You know, God provides, and then we trust God to help us give. God gave his grace to the Macedonians, and as a result, the generosity of the Macedonians amazed and impressed Paul. He continues in verses 3 and 4. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor or the privilege of participation in the support of the saints. That word favor or privilege is the Greek word for grace. The Macedonians considered it a privilege to give in order to serve others. They had received God's grace and considered it a matter of God's grace to be able to minister to other believers. They were so committed to this principle of outward focus that they begged Paul to let them minister to the church in Jerusalem with their gift of money. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's a dirt-poor church begging Paul to take their money and give it to somebody else to relieve their suffering. Now, how often do we see that today, where someone is so committed to serving others that they plead for opportunities to serve in some way? The Macedonians really understood what the Christian life is all about. And verse 5 gives us a key to understand why they lived the way they did. In the NIV it says, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves, not just their money, 
but themselves, first to the Lord and then to us, in keeping with God's will. They put God first in their lives, and God gave them the grace to be generous in their love for others. So here's the point regarding our core ministry principle of outward focus. We at Cole Community Church believe, like the Macedonians, that God has called us to eagerly, excuse me, <clears throat> eagerly, chokes me up, eagerly and diligently seek to build up believers and churches beyond our four walls. We are convinced that as disciples we are to invest ourselves and our resources in advancing our Lord's kingdom. You know, we're not in competition with other churches or ministries. We're on the same team. Thus, it is our characteristic to encourage you, the people of this church, to minister where gifted or called, both in this church and elsewhere. We are committed to being a church that equips and sends. And as a result, it is our characteristic to give ourselves away for the kingdom. Now again we ask, do we really do this? As we learned last week, we believe that ministry is best done in a personal, relational way. So we don't tend to do every event opportunity that comes along, and sometimes that makes us look like we're inward-focused. But if you look closely, you will see that Cole Community Church is a remarkably outward-focused church. When I ask for examples of being outward-focused, well, overflowing abundance might be the best way to describe that. Here are a few. A children's ministry kids club sings at a nearby assisted living community at Christmas. They hand out candy canes and stay to visit afterward. Our children's ministry pastors are involved in the Treasure Valley Children's Ministry Network, supporting children's ministry leaders throughout the valley. Idaho Mountain Ministries, led by David and Carolyn Roper, ministers to local pastoral couples and small churches all over the region. And they encourage pastoral couples when the going gets tough. Cole Valley Christian Schools is another great example. Students at Cole Valley come from many different churches. In addition, the school administrators have cultivated relationships with other Christian schools in the region in order to encourage them and build them up. The Women's Ministry Annual Conference is attended by women from many different churches, and they usually invite, at no charge, women from City Light and Chrysalis House. There's a new ministry that's appeared this year. It's called King's Garden, and many of you are working diligently in the garden with the objective of serving others. You know, members of our church are involved in ministries all around the valley, like Young Life, Chrysalis House, Safe Place Ministries, InterVarsity, Grace Tapestries, and the list goes on. I can say with confidence that it is our characteristic to give ourselves away for the kingdom. Well, now we've arrived at our third ministry principle, reaching the lost. At this point, if you've been tracking with me, you should be asking, what does our founder Jesus have to say about this topic? Again, we go back to the greatest commandment, specifically, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus made it clear in the parable of the Good Samaritan that neighbors include people who don't necessarily believe the same way we do. So just as our core ministry principle of outward focus targeted fellow believers, reaching a loss focuses on non-believers, those who are not yet in God's family. At Cole Community Church, we are convinced that God calls his disciples to a life of actively sharing the gospel with a lost world through word and deed. 
On the specific subject of reaching the lost, Jesus had a lot to say. Today I, I want to take you to one passage, the passage that records Jesus' words to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. Luke records this conversation in Acts 1.8. So please turn with me to that passage. In verse 8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Again, as we keep seeing in this study, it all begins with God. God provides the power, the ability to do what he wants them to do. And once they have the power provided by God, they will be his witnesses. They will be the witnesses of Jesus. Did you notice that Jesus did not say, I would like you to be my witnesses? Or, you can be my witnesses if you want to. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's going to happen. All right, what's a witness? The word that's used here means one who has information or knowledge of something, and therefore one who can give information, bring to light, or confirm something. You know, they'll be telling people what they have seen, heard, and heard regarding Jesus. You know, just as witnesses in the court of law testify to what they've seen, heard, or lived through, so we as Christ's witnesses testify to what we know. And what is it that they and we know? What is it that we are witnesses of? Well, there's a lot of things, but the book of Acts records that the big thing that they were witnesses of was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His rising from the dead proved that he was the Messiah. Because he conquered death, he's able to rescue us from the domain of darkness and bring us into his kingdom. Because he conquered death, he can give abundant life. Because he lives, we, like the early disciples, are witnesses today of what he has done in our lives. You know, people need life, and we have it to share. Jesus told his disciples that they would begin their witnessing in their hometown and the surrounding area. That's nice, but he doesn't stop there with the close by and familiar of Judea and Jerusalem. He throws in Samaria a bit further away geographically and a bit different culturally, and in fact populated by those half-breed Samaritans that they didn't like anyway. Now this is a little bit outside the disciples' comfort zone. But at least they knew who the Samaritans were, and it wasn't that far away. But again, Jesus doesn't stop there. He pushes on to more distant destinations, distant both geographically and culturally. He uses the phrase remotest parts of the earth, or ends of the earth. The Greek word translated remote or ends is one that fits very well into our current 21st century vernacular because one sense of its meaning is extreme. The extreme parts of the earth. You know, today we have extreme sports and extreme soft drinks. But on that day, Jesus called his disciples to extreme witnessing. Acts records that the disciples did indeed scatter into the world. Jesus sent them to extreme places to witness to strange people in peculiar cultures. And history records that the descendants of those disciples eventually reached the very extreme and strange place called Idaho, for which I am extremely grateful. <laughs> you know, although Acts 1-8 happened a long time ago, let's think about how these principles apply to us today. Jesus still calls his people to be witnesses today. Some of us are called to be witnesses locally in Boise, in Idaho. Some of us are called to traverse modest 
geographical distance and modest cultural distance, you know, perhaps witnessing to people in Central America or to uh, immigrants living among us here in Boise. And a few of you, he is calling to be his witnesses to the extreme ends of the earth, to the lost living in distant parts of the globe, or to refugees from completely foreign cultures living here in the Treasure Valley. So here's the point about our core ministry principle, reaching the lost. We, like the early disciples, believe that the Lord calls us to be his witnesses from Boise to Timbuktu. Therefore, at Cole Community Church, we are convinced that God calls his disciples to a life of actively sharing the gospel with a lost world through word and deed. We believe that evangelism and outreach flow out of a love for the Lord, the first part of the greatest commandment, which then translates into a love for people. And because we believe that, it is our characteristic to encourage a missions mindset. So let's look at how this missions mindset plays out here at Cole Community Church. Since we are a church that encourages the saints to do the work of the ministry, we reach the lost in a variety of ways. Again, here are just a few examples, and I'll start close to home. At Christmas, we support Project Angel Tree, a ministry that reaches out to children of inmates and the families and their families with the love of Christ. Many in this church provide help and support to local refugee families. We support Boise American Mission, now called CATCH, that works with refugees. Going a little farther afield, we find that many of you have gone on short-term mission trips, some through Cole Community Church, some through Cole Valley Christian Schools, and some through other organizations. And several of our Sunday school classes support missions, and one class is focused on missions. Cole Community Church is unique in having a field staff program in which we have people on staff whose ministry focus is planting churches or nurturing indigenous churches among people who are part of other cultures. This includes the Mannings in the Middle East, the Browns in England, the Armstrongs in Indonesia, and the Ivans, who live here in Boise, but minister to people across the globe through MAF learning technologies. In addition to field staff, we support others who minister in remote, extreme places, the Kennings in the Czech Republic, the Eitmillers in Indonesia, the Lewises, Bozels, Brambilas, and Dingkongs. And that's not everything and not everybody. So you can see that we really do have a missions mindset here at Cole Community Church. Well, to summarize, we've now learned about the three core ministry principles of prayer, outward focus, and reaching the lost. We've seen that the Bible speaks directly to these ministry principles. We've seen that you, actually we, are actively doing the work of the ministry, implementing these principles, and we're able to do so because of God's supply. Now, we've come to the end of the series on vision, mission, and core ministry principles. A lot of information has been transmitted in these three weeks, and no doubt more than any of you can actually hold in your brain at one time. If there's only one thing that you remember from this series, let it be this. Hold firm to your faith's foundation. Hold firm to the scriptures. Study them. Live by them. Hold firm to Jesus, the founder of your faith. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are grateful that we can call you Father. We are grateful for Jesus and the Word. We are grateful that we don't have to do ministry on our own, but you supply. We are grateful for the privilege of being able to build up others. We're grateful for the life that you've given us and the life that we can share with others. Please give us the strength and wisdom we need to share your love and grace with others and to be your witnesses today. It's in the name of Jesus. 
the head of this church. We pray these things. Amen.